Chris Gazza here with Matt Howell. And this week on The First Run, we step up to that crimson door and head into the further one last time. Maybe? Possibly? I think so. With Patrick Wilson's directorial debut, Insidious The Red Door. As always, we give you our selections for the biggest physical media releases of the week, drop our straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week, then we wrap up this boondoggle with another episode of Who Dat? A segment whose namesake has drifted beyond the limits of mortal memory. I'm so sorry for you, the city of New Orleans. So close your eyes and get ready to, like, project into the astral plane, man, with Insidious, the Red Door. My brain just been foggy past few years. All I ever wanted was to be a good dad. Dalton. Mom. Renee. Did you ever try and get help? Nah, I'm just trying to push through. Why don't you drive Dalton to college? You still have a few weeks before your students show up, right? Just an idea to reconnect. I know it's been tough with you too. The balance of light and dark is what we're after. You're in the art school, I take it? Yeah. You go here too? Yes. Draw an experience that defines you. When I was 10, I was in a coma. But I don't even remember being sick. Sink deep into your memory and let's see what light can find. So, Matt, I uh, trimmed that trailer a bit. I couldn't find, like, a straight clip. And at one point, I'm like, you know what? I should. We should make people listening to us listen to the full trailer so they get the experience <laughs> of sitting through the vast length mm-hmm. of the uh, insidious uh, The Red Door. Matt, what is the latest? There's five of these? I, I have no idea. This is the fifth film. Me neither. And I should probably reset, and I'm curious where you fall on this. I saw the first two. Mm-hmm. I think I saw the third one, but I don't remember anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I know I didn't see the fourth, which is the key, the lost key or something like that. I, think, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So what about you? Where are you in the uh, insidious run? Uh, I saw the first one relatively recently, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first one's pretty darn good. Yeah, it is. It is. It has one of my favorite, I think, jump scares of the last, like, uh, 20 years, I think, mm. really. So, speaking of jump scares, Matt, what is Insidious the Red Door all about? Uh, well, it's nine years later from the events of one of the previous Insidiouses. I'm not 100% sure which one, as you as you know, because I've only seen the first one. Josh and his wife are divorced. Dalton is all grown up, and he's moving off to college. Josh and Dalton have a strange relationship, or a strained relationship, I should say. And while he's away at school, spooky stuff starts happening. And uh, he gets confronted by demons and ghosts and monsters. Oh, my. So, that's interesting. So, I think you, as seeing not, not seeing part two, I think you run into a bit of an issue. Because part two is the one where uh, Patrick Wilson's character... So, the first one, the kid's kind of possessed, right? And the second one, at the end of the first one, it jumps into Patrick Wilson's character. And then that second film is him basically either trying to figure out what's up with him. Is there something wrong? And he tries to kill his family. That whole thing, Hammer recreation thing, that's all like in the second film. And I guess I'm happy that they got Rose Byrne back. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Rose Byrne, so it's always nice to see her. 
Again, I don't recall much about three. I didn't see four. And but uh, from what I believe is that those focus on um, on oh, I'm blanking on her name now. Lynn Shay's character, Elise Rainier, and uh, her family, I believe, in those because it's it's prequels to this stuff. So you've jumped from one to five, which maybe I'm assuming is fine. I have absolutely no idea. So what are your thoughts on Insidious the Red Door? I've had a good run of horror. And it's this is a story by Lee Whannell, who I believe directed the third one, and of course the first two directed by James Wan. So where do you come down on Insidious the Red Door? Have we revitalized this franchise? Are you now all excited to watch parts two, three, and four? Mm-hmm. Or you're like, you know what, uh, I'm, I think I'm good. I'm good. Where do you fall? Well... As usual, somewhere in the middle. I don't think this is a bad film. I think this is tanking mm. on, from a Rotten Tomatoes perspective, but I think as a horror film, it's in it's a it's a it's a workmanlike or it's at least a a competent you know well put together if uninspired horror film. And I think it's got some creepy moments. I think from especially and this could be part of the fact of I haven't seen a lot of these films. It's got this problem that you also see with the Conjuring films is that this stuff, as they try and kind of build out this this mythology and they kind of add more and more films, it gets more convoluted and it becomes so plot heavy, so like callback heavy that it it kind of suffers under the weight of its own kind of uh, complications in this film. I think if you take it as a straight just the visuals on screen and some of the scenes, I think they're pretty good, but the kind of whole background of, you know, sticking to a family and this astral projection, astral plane stuff and all that, it just all gets to very to be too much. And it's, I just kind of glazed over as they were kind of explaining all of the background information. Yeah. I don't think it is terribly good. I think that Patrick Wilson's directorial debut, I'm thinking maybe that's partly how we, why they were able to get him to come Mm -hmm. back. But uh, I think he likes his jump scares. I think he likes his quick cuts. But I think the film really suffers from a lack of pacing Mm. and an overall, I think, lack of dread. I feel like the film kind of just meanders along. And you add in a bit of a clunky script. And I think you have a recipe for just a disappointing disappointing and dull horror film. I think it's quite a step down from the first film. Mm. Again, I don't really remember the second one. And I can't recall anything about the third. Uh, And I think that the focus on the family kind of exploring this relationship between father and son as they've drifted apart um they explain kind of as to why that's happened but i think that's a mistake here. Mm. i actually want more which is funny i think at the end of the second film i think there may have been a dave tenure that uh i was entirely enough done with the further mm. i thought it was just unremarkable boring just kind of what, some dry ice or some fog machines, basically, and then people wandering around with a lantern. And we're five films in now, and we don't do anything with it. Right. We can't explore this at all. Is there another pocket dimension, perhaps? Is there a darker end of the further we could explore? Is there even a lighter one? Are there more things going on here? No, we don't really do anything with it. Now, I heard in doing some post watching this research that they were somehow trying to tie this universe in with the sinister universe. I don't know if that's still going to happen or if it ever did happen and all of the films that I haven't seen, but I hear that is something that they were trying to tie together. 
that's uh, okay that's fine well we don't we don't do anything like that here so fine i i can't even remember the second did i even see the second film i thought the first one was pretty darn good yeah well that's what i've heard that's the reason i only watched the first one because i heard the first one was pretty good and the rest of them were middling at best yeah I don't know, but I think that's just part of the issue. It's, we're just rehashing the same family dynamics and famous, same family issues, and it really relies too heavily on jump scares. And we're not against jump scares here, as long as they're not you know cats jumping out of closets. But it's he the film I think lacks any momentum and any really built up fear of dread. That never really happens. We just kind of go from one scene to one scene. There's never any real, I think, I feel emotional connection with any of these characters either. And it's just, the whole thing just felt kind of languid and, and, and dull to me. It really did. It's Even the big emotional release of the ending felt tepid and underbaked. The whole film was like that for me. So, I don't know, Matt. You seem to have enjoyed it more than I did. I mean, again, I don't want to oversell this. I mean, I thought it was fine. I mean, I don't think it's a... You know, a complete disaster that mm-hmm. that the critics are putting out there. I mean, I've seen many, many, many worse horror films. That's for sure. Uh, I mean, it's uninspired. Like, it's not yeah. gonna. I think what you're doing is it's like you really like the first one, and you think it's a pretty good horror film, and it, this is a big disappointment. And I agree, this is a big disappointment from that. But I was not really super invested in the Insidious universe. It seems okay, but I mean, you're right. It's not breaking any ground. I don't think it's particularly good at all. It's just okay. Yeah, and to go back to the original rating system on the show, would I say, do you rush to the theater, wait to see it at home, or skip it? Um, I'm torn between wait at home or even just skip Mm. it. I don't think it adds anything to the franchise. There's nothing new here. And it's just a wholly unremarkable, if not just dull, horror film at times, Matt. I gave it a D plus. Did you? Wow. Um, I give Insidious the Red Door a C. All right. Nice to see a little uh, distance between us. It's always fun. (laughs) If you had a chance to see uh, Insidious the Red Door... uh, I don't know, Matt. Let me ask you, though. This is kind of how I feel, and I'm curious if you feel the same way. We're ready to forget the further once and for all. Do you agree with Patrick Wilson? Are you ready to forget the further once and for I all? I, if we release another one of these, I'm not going to be rushing out to see it. I guess we should have gone and saw Joyride and got a close-up of the cervix. Yeah, you know what? I think I didn't even realize that had come out because uh, that looks really funny to mm. me and I would like to see it. So, yeah, I think that's a major swing and a miss on my part here. <sighs> Sorry, Joyride. <laughs> If you've got a chance to see Insidious the Red Door, shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. I think it's we always kind of trend or lean horror if we have the opportunity. Mm, so we do. And we got uh, a little snake bitten that time. At least I certainly did. Um, did you stay through the credits, Matt? I did not, no. So at the very end, when the credits end, there's the light flickers above the now painted black door. Oh. So. Opening up some opportunities there for some more insidious films. Can't wait. Thank God. <laughs> All right, Matt. Let's talk about what's coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, July 18th. And, uh, well, it's... it's uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know what's funny is I'm looking at my list right now. 
I have absolutely no idea where I pulled this clip from, and now I'm wondering if I even did. So let's find out together. The story of the first movies. In 1895, one of the very first films ever shown was called A Train Arrives in the Station, which had nothing more than a train coming into the station. When the train came speeding toward the screen, the audience screamed because they thought they were in danger of being run over. No one had ever seen anything like it before. No one had ever seen anything like it before. Marty Scorsese expands, explains, just goes through his love of film and the history of. And Hugo being released in 4K this upcoming Tuesday, July 18th, starring Asa Butterfield and Chloe Grace Moretz. Matt, did you ever see Hugo? I think we did it for the show, but I don't know if that was during your window. No, that was not during my window. I have not seen it. It's 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 good. It's I really rather enjoyed it when I saw it. Also, I think um, Ben Kingsley is in that as well. But of course... We're going to go with Love Again, featuring Celine Dion, Priyanka Chopra, and Sam Hugan. A young woman tries to ease the pain of her fiancé's death, yikes, by sending romantic texts to his old cell phone number. Informs a connection with the man the number has been reassigned to. Includes six deleted scenes. Fool's Paradise, written, directed, and starring Charlie Day, Matt, of It's Always Sunny. Have you watched the new season yet? I'm I'm two episodes out. I have not seen it, no. It's pretty good so far. Also, Ken Young, uh, Kate Beckinsale, Adrian Brody, Jason Sudeikis, and Edie Falco all star. And with Charlie as a fool for love becomes an accidental celebrity, only to lose it all. Get three coffins ready. Uh-huh. Matt, I think you've seen Deadstream on Shudder. Um, that's being released on Blu-ray. It includes a steelbook option as well. A disgraced internet personality, Matt attempts to win back his followers by live-streaming one night alone in a haunted house. But when he accidentally pisses off the vengeful spirit, his big comeback event becomes a real-time fight for his life. That one's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty fun. Nice. I gotta check that one out. Number two? Looks like we're shy of one horse. <laughs> you brought two too many. I'm gonna go with season one of The Last of Us, getting a Blu-ray and 4K release. Includes three making-of featurettes, Getting to know me uh, more, some uh, inside the episodes, and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff too. I'm just terrified that HBO Max is just gonna start pulling stuff off mm. the off the uh, website. So I, I'm gonna be picking this up at some point. I'm saying I'm gonna wait for a good price, but I will be picking it up. Did you you watch the first season? I right? did. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was really good. And I'm with you. I'll probably there are certain things that I will pick up. Just because you never know what's gonna happen, and if you really love the show or the movie, you should have it just so you have it. There you go. And then finally, there can be only one. Criterion is putting out the renowned Westerns, five films directed by Bud Butcher, includes The Tall T, Decision at Sundown, Buchanan Rides Alone, Ride Lonesome, and Comanche Station. All five films presented as 4K Blu-rays, featuring 4K restorations done by Sony Pictures, introductions by the films by Martin Scorsese, Taylor Hackford, a new introduction as well by some critics, three audio commentaries, and more. Matt, also being released in 4K, Criterion is putting out 
the classic French film Breathless in 4K, previously in Blu-ray, which I own. Also, the 2012 Les Miserables, one featuring uh, what Anne Hathaway, one Best Supporting Actress. We talked about Hugo, and then Kino Lorber is putting out uh, Wim Friedkin's The Live and Die in L.A. in 4K as well. Your straight-to-DVD pick of the week. You ever seen any of the subspecies movies? I haven't, no. I think I saw the first one back when I was, I'd run in the video store, you know, and rent a horror film and then stay home or during the summer when my parents were uh, at work. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Subspecies 5, Blood Rise is getting released on Blu-ray. The Vampire Radu is back and director Nicolo's epic prequel to Subspecies it's five, Blood Rise, a dark thriller, Matt, that follows Radu's descent from a noble warrior of the church to a deprived, or excuse me, depraved as well, I imagine, blood-hungry creature of the night, stolen by crusaders on the night of his birth from his demon mother and vampire father. Radu grows up with no knowledge of his monstrous bloodline, trained and exploited by a brotherhood of mystic monks to slay all enemies of the church. Fate brings him back one night to his father's castle, armed with the monster-slaying Sword of Laertes, to destroy the vampire Fledislas and reclaim a holy relic, the Bloodstone. The horrifying events, Matt, were not done yet, that unfold turn Redu from an honorable man into a vampire with no master, setting him on a centuries-long quest for sustenance, for championship, or companionship. God, I sound like Trump. <laughs> In their lives and through their lives. Setting him on a centuries-long quest for sustenance, for companionship for the treacherous one who stole him from the sun. And the bloodstone he hopes will bring him peace. Filmed in Serbia, surprise, surprise. And around authentic castles and ruins and featuring original series star Denise Duff in a surprising role. The sensual, violent, and operatic exploration of evil marks a stunning return from one of the screen's most beloved blood suckers. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? Well, in honor of the upcoming Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning... Go it on on Paramount Plus, and at least you can watch all the Mission Impossibles there. But at least watch the last three, being Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout, in preparation for Tom Cruise putting his life at risk yet again while he does his own stunts as a sixty-something-year-old man. Good times. I uh, I'm very excited. Matt and I are both going to different screenings as we reside in different states mm-hmm. tonight as the early access, since we will be away next week. But we'll still have a show for you, so don't worry about that. Uh, that's why we're jumping on that early screening. I looked at my screening today because I was curious how full it was. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much packed, except for the front row. And I think I tweeted this out. Very far left seat at the front of the theater, someone's sitting mm-hmm. in it. But like none of the ones in the center. I can't wrap my head around the person that would sit at the very front on like a far end of the screen, mm-hmm. especially at a Dolby screen. Right. It's wild. I don't it blows my mind. And then finally, one thing I wanted to mention quickly that I don't quite understand. How to Blow Up a Pipeline, Matt, is being released on DVD this upcoming Tuesday. Really? Just That's DVD, it. huh? Just DVD. Wow. Well, you know what, though? Isn't it something like crazy? Like 80% of physical media sales are still DVD? And driven, I think, mostly by Walmart sales. Mm. Yeah, it is crazy how much it's still just DVD. And uh, 4K, from what I understand, is not building like Blu-ray did, even though Blu-ray still hasn't, as we said, surpassed DVD, right. which uh, I don't understand people. But anyway, check out How to Blow Up a Pipeline. We did that a few episodes back. Matt and I both really enjoyed that one as well. But I don't know. I I may even, I think it's the first time I've said this. I may tell you to stream it instead. Mm. 
instead of buying the DVD quality copy of How to Blow Up a Pipeline. But then you have the problem of, will it become hard to find at some point in the near future? Yeah. Jeez, yeah. God, everything's horrible. <laughs> All right. Let's close up the show, Matt, with a turn of Who Dat, everybody's favorite role-playing game. Here's the fish for the lady. Thank you. Please. Welcome. And the lamb chops for the gentleman. Thank you, please. And we'd like a pre-order souffles. And uh, I'd like to send a bottle of burgundy to those two gentlemen over there. Of course, sir. Enjoy. Thank you very much. At least they look like uptown. The ones yesterday looked like flashes. Well, we do our best. I'm under glass. Soon you'll know everything about me. There are things we don't know. Like what? Like why? Were you bored? Acquisitions and mergers looking a little stodgy. Is it more fun getting it than keeping it? And is this the fun part for you? How do you mean? It's not about the money. You like to chase. Not many women get to chase. It's like poker. We don't let you in the game. You're right. My brother said I didn't have the mind for it. And now they're plumbers. Oh, but you knew that. So, Matt, that is a clip from the excellent Thomas Crown Affair remake with uh, Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo. And uh, that's my first one for you, Matt. You're Barbara Broccoli. You're going to cast a former Bond as a Bond villain. Now, you can go through time and space on this one, all right? Mm -hmm. So, which do you think of the former Bonds would be the best Bond villain, like in a later film? Go through time and space. So, like, Sean Connery, Roger Moore are available. You could say, yes. Yeah, and, and you could say, like, yeah, so Connery, you know, in crusade age-wise if you want. Mm-hmm. Or you can even go time bandits mm-hmm. age or you can go more. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, but Highlander age? Have him come in his Highlander outfit? Sure. Yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> well, okay. Spanish peacock. Yeah. So, as Barbara Broccoli, I think I personally would go with Pierce Brosnan. I, I watched him as Dr. Fate. I think he could really class up and bring some sinister you know, performance to it. I think I'd like to see him do a sinister turn. I like Timothy Dalton, but I saw him be the bad guy in Hot Fuzz, so I'm good. Yeah, I think Bronson's the answer as well. I, I agree with you entirely. That's why I pulled that mm. clip from Thomas Crown Affair. He's not really a villain per se, but he's the, uh, I guess, the antagonist, yeah. for lack of a better term, for that film. But I, I agree with you because he does have that air of class and sophistication. That's why I like Dalton, and I really appreciate uh, Craig Craig doesn't have that same effete kind of sound and vibe to him that uh, that Pierce has, mm-hmm. but I think that would lend him to being a really great villain. So if I had to choose one, it would be that. Because we also got to see Connery as a bad guy in that Avengers film. Mm-hmm. So, um, which I, I remember being not as bad as everybody says it is. I can't remember. I don't know if I should rewatch that. Probably not. Yeah, I don't think I watched it when it came out. Fair enough. But yeah, good. I'm glad we're both on board with Pierce. Yeah. What do you got for me? All right. You're the unstoppable Tom Cruise. Uh, Tom, how much longer can you do this? You know, it's funny. This is going to sound horrible. I saw him doing some red carpet interviews. And it was the first time I saw him like, man, Tom's looking old. Mm. It, for the first time, I don't know what it is. And I'm sure they've made up, make, put enough makeup on him and stuff, maybe even digitally kind of erase some of the uh, creases and lines in Tom's face. Because what's he coming in at now? 66? I don't know. I'm about, I'm about to look it up right now. He can't be 60. Maybe 61? 61 years old. There we go. Nailed it. Sort of. Uh, yeah. So, man, I guess when you drink the blood of virgins, that kind of... 
Is that what Scientologists do? I don't know. No, they, they have their uh, soul cleansed with a mild electrical pulse. And supposedly this is the end for his Mission Impossible run. Mm. And I, from what I understand, that Dead Reckoning Part 2 is on hold because of the writer's strike. They've actually shut it down. Mm. Are you asking me this is the end for the Mission Impossible franchise for him? No, I'm asking you... How is how long can you go as like an action star doing this kind of stuff? Whether that's live die repeat, uh, edge of tomorrow kind of stuff, or anything like that. Just anything. Yeah. I think he's going to go a couple more, maybe mm-hmm. maybe one or two more. I mean, we just had a Harrison Ford Indiana Jones sure. film. It's, so how old is Ford? Is he eighty? Eighty, yeah. All right. So I was going to say they're not that far apart, but yeah, nineteen years, especially at that at that age yeah. things accelerate yeah. a lot faster they, they really do so uh and tom cruise all right let's reset that yes no i am going to continue i'm maybe going to revise my dark universe mummy stuff mm. who knows you, you never know or i'll come back and do another um would be a good one would be a good thing he could would be a good action franchise for him first run favorite uh, night and day god i hate that <laughs> I do not understand the appeal of that movie with some people. I really don't. And maybe a third Top Gun movie? Does he die at the end of that? He doesn't die at the end of that, right? No, he doesn't. No. Okay. I really... I don't know what's going on with me. I cannot remember things anymore. I gotta get that Prevagen or something. Yeah. It's, you better start taking... It's pretty you bad. better start take, uh, looking up the, the things to keep yourself sharp and start doing that stuff. Reading, puzzles, stuff like that. Keeping physically yeah, active. Yeah. I'm going to be 48 in like two weeks, three weeks. I know. So it's crazy. If we, yeah, if I, if I survive my Vegas trip, we'll see. Maybe, <laughs> we'll, maybe a, me, a moot point. Who knows? <laughs> what a way to go. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I think he's got one or two more action. I got, I got one or two more action films in me, but I am going to slow down. I'm going to do some more drama stuff, perhaps another courtroom drama. People love me yelling at mm. people in, in uh, witness stands. And then. Maybe I'll settle into some kind of, you know, character work mm. for the last few years. Maybe. Yeah, I'm with you, though. I, I seen him, and then even in some of that uh, Mission Impossible trailer and stuff, he's got that telltale, he's just, he's 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 moving a little stiffly. Like, he's not, mm-hmm. he's not as spry, and, and he's not selling it as much as he has in the past, which, you know, is concerning. But I guess it is what it is. Time comes for us all, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what? When we're traveling this week, maybe I'll go see Joyride when I'm out in Vegas. Okay. That might be something fun for me to do. Because I, I do want to see it. It's supposed to be really fun. Yeah, it is supposed to be All right. Uh, Matt, you are Johnny Hollywood, president of Hollywood. Oh, boy. This has been a recent trend again recently. Recent trend recently? Uh, we've had another second week collapse. Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny. Is something going on? Is there... Has the... Uh, are we hit a point where the people who love movies go to the movies? And that we don't really get steady growth anymore are you concerned about that at all potentially um what i think i'm learning finally a hard lesson that i've uh, me johnny hollywood has has had to learn is that i think we're at the end of being able to revive old series gen xers are getting older the youngest of them are in their you know mid 40s at this point so we can't really rely on their nostalgia what we need to do is hit on what's the millennials and the and the Gen Z are into and what brings them to the theaters because obviously the older generations are not coming for their old heroes. They're content to wait to watch it on their screen at home. Yeah, it's mm, 
is I'm wondering how much of it is changed now. Yeah, that, that's just the convenience of being able to check this stuff at home now. It's like, oh, what do I care? I'll wait a mm-hmm. month. It's going to pop up on Peacock or whatever, right? So what's it matter? So, yeah, so I'm looking here. So Indie did... Now, I mean, the good thing is it still happens, right? Because Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is doing really mm-hmm. well, right? It's at 642 right now globally. 358 almost here so that one to its drop was only 27 and a half percent so um oh no i'm sorry that's day to day forgive me that's not week over week so i have to see how if i could adjust that here we go domestic weekly met thank you 51 percent mm. all right which all right that's fine god i love how i crack now when i move to <laughs> But see, let's look at Indy. Matt, where you're at. Indy is pulled in 247, almost 248 worldwide mm-hmm. in two weeks. And it's not here. Yeah. It doesn't have this week's this week this last week. So I understand though it did drop a bunch. It went from ninety-four. I can't do math on the fly. So ninety-four to twenty-six. Wow. Twenty-seven. So uh, that's my concern is that, and then what does that mean? Does that focus us more on your larger superhero sequel stuff or does the, or does the Indiana Jones and the flash stuff illustrate that, that just the drive for that stuff isn't there anymore either. Right. That all you're going to do is get your core audience and then, well, that's, it. I think for me, there's a couple things. So one, we've talked on the show a lot about the fact that, the movie theater experience, something has to change. It's very expensive. It's, you know, yeah. it's very inconvenient, you know, and for lack of, I mean, for most of the the theaters in your multiplex are just middling at best, right? They're regular standard D, you know, standard definition, not your Dolby's, anything like that. So you're not getting, especially with the advancements in what you can do at home, you're not really getting yeah. a lot, right? Two, these films um, are sequels to films that weren't well received, you know, so people had lost faith mm. in faith in the in the DC EU. People didn't really like Crystal Skull for good reason. So that's a hard thing to come back from because look at things like John Wick; they're doing fine, um, and they're yeah. they're they're good, but they're also new. And then also, and then lastly, I think the major thing, the major major thing, especially with the way things are at home, is that you don't get repeat viewings in the theater like you used to. Very few people yeah. do that. I mean, I when I was younger. I used to do that shit all the time. Now it's a, it's a huge rarity. Even a film like Spider-Verse, which I loved, I only went twice because my daughter wanted to go and I didn't take her with me the first time. So we went and saw it again. But otherwise I can't think of a, another movie that I could, that I'd want to see more than once in the theater. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. I think I saw no time to die. was the last time I saw a film twice. And the only reason why I saw it a second time is because I had a few hours to kill. I was out with my wife someplace and she was at a conference or something. I had nothing to do. Sure. And they were showing it in the IMAX. So I'm like, oh, I'll just go check it out in the IMAX. But but yeah, that's I cannot remember the last time I ran to go see something twice that I was so excited about. I almost did it for Wick. Mm. But they pulled it from the Dolby, so I didn't go again. Right. Well, that's the other thing. It's like I'll watch something in the Dolby. I'm not going to go watch it in standard if I can't see it again, and once they pull it, that's just death sentence. I'm not going back. 
Yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. All right. What do you got for me? Um, all right. Well, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit so we don't run into another issue. So you're Jimmy Hollywood, uh, the COO of, of Hollywood, as opposed to Johnny Hollywood, the CEO of Hollywood. Um, so we know that there's the writer strike going on, but it mm-hmm. seems like uh, those uppity actors are getting real close. So what happens if SAG goes on strike? That's a great question. I don't, I hopefully, I think what's going to happen, don't tell anybody this, is that we're going to have to fold. We're going to have to fall to their demands because the way the industry is changing, where they're trying to make screenwriting and all that stuff be just writing as contract work, mm-hmm. um, where you just come in, punch something up. I think they're trying to also to head off any implementation of AI. Mm-hmm. So, and then they can just pay people like by the hour to punch up an AI script, which is going to be basically, you won't be able to live as a writer mm-hmm. uh, in Hollywood. You won't be able to do it. So what are we going to do though? We're going to do our best, Matt, to find a happy medium for everybody to get along and turn out the product that Hollywood wants to see. Right? That's what they're going to tell people. What's probably going to happen though is though they're going to still try and work behind the scenes, try and advance stuff, cut costs. And then um, hopefully we'll continue to hire brilliant geniuses, right? Like the Zaslav, who's running HBO, who's running Max, the whole Warner Brothers thing, who realizes what in core what we're about, Matt. We are a product, mm-hmm. we are delivering content to customers. All right. If there happens to trip over a piece of art once in a while, great. You know, we'll have our little indie studio that gets us some Oscars cred. In the meantime, we're focused on pushing out product to our customers, regardless of what the artistic merit, how good it is, whatever the case may be. It's like we're just going to expand the Netflix model. Mm. We need to keep people tuned in. And that's the plan. So... There you go. You know, Jimmy, it is called show business, not show art. So that's right. (laughs) Although I thought, I I thought it was interesting that I read about the writer's strike was one of the things that they're pushing for is all these things that are being pulled off of streaming. That means they don't get paid anymore. Mm -hmm. So what they're trying to change it to is, you know, okay, you don't give us a fee if it's on your streaming service, just give us a fee per view. Right. And that they're hoping that'll incentivize keeping that stuff up because then you only have to pay for when people watch it. And if it's like, you know, if only a few people watch it, then you don't have to really pay anything. Yeah. Well, that's part of it because they also, though, I think they inflate their numbers. Who knows how many of those are, the numbers are true, the view numbers, or really I think the core of it is how many people finish things. Right. Right. Well, they'll start it, particularly the shows. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the big challenges. That's why they don't want to release their numbers. Um, but yeah, it's, it really is ridiculous how this stuff is being run right now. And there is some show, I guess I saw this on Twitter that, uh, I don't know, on Disney, it's on, it was on Disney and they're like, one of the big issues is that you're never going to have any cult stuff anymore mm-hmm. because if th- something isn't a major hit, they're just going to pull it and it's going to disappear down the rabbit hole and you'll never see it again. Right. I mean, that's how cult stuff happens is it may not be successful, but it builds an audience over time and you can finally watch it and catch up with it in different versions like on video or or uh, midnight screenings, whatever the case may be. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Stuff's going to be memory hold and you'll never see it again. And I even tweeted this out the other day or today that if you're going to pull something, 
like a week or so after and then just never release it, then you should lose your copyright. And then what people do with it, you know, maybe if they, then that's you want to stop pirating and all that stuff. That this is not the way to do right. it. Yeah, I was about to say. I mean, pirating is going to go through the roof for all this stuff. And honestly, if you can't find it legitimately anywhere, or you can only buy used copies for ridiculous amounts of money, it's not like the people who made it are getting that money that you're paying out. So I'm, I have no problem with pirating those types of films. I'll, I have bootleg Blu-rays of the original versions of the Star Wars mm. films. They look fantastic. Right. You know, they sound great. That's all wonderful stuff. You're never going to get that any place. You're not going to... You have to scour the internet sometimes for certain things. Yep. Matt, all right. I'm going to close out with you being your buddy, our pal, Zack Snow. Oh, of course. You pitched a Star Wars movie. And Disney is like, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I, I know you want it to be rated R. I know you want to really explore stuff that hasn't been done before. You don't want any legacy characters, which I can kind of get on board with that a little bit. But didn't go anywhere. And he ends up developing the film, and now it's going to appear on Netflix, and it's called Rebel Moon, mm-hmm. starring Ray Fisher and, of course, one of my favorite actors, Charlie Hunnam. Matt... What can you tell, excuse me, Zach, what can you tell us about Rebel Moon if it started out as a Star Wars pitch? And is this going to be a, a great little kind of Dawn of the Deady type thing that we all know and love or more of a sucker punch type thing? <laughs> what do you want to tell us? You know what? I'm glad Disney passed on this because they would have constrained my artistic vision too much. I've learned mm. my lesson, my lesson um, where... You know, I, in fact, I would think that studios have learned their lesson after, you know, the resounding success and the call for my vision with the Snyder Cut. And this allows Netflix has given me the freedom. I think you're really going to be able to see a little bit of the DNA and you're going to be see, going to see what I'm going for. But I think you're really going to appreciate the fact that I've been let off the leash and I think you're going to love it. That is wonderful. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> You big sci-fi stuff, Ray Fisher. Come on, mm. we talked about him last we week, did, right? Yeah. So you need. I think Zach probably make it his personal mission to keep that man employed going forward. Probably. So good for him. But uh, Matt, let me read you. I want to read you how what he describes it okay. as. All right, and tell me what you think. It was a, It's it was seven samurai in space, and a Star Wars movie was my original concept for it. I know the origins for George or a lot of those Kurosawa films. I was a big Kurosawa fan. I struggle with that. So it made sense as a concept, a real simple story, kind of clean, good versus evil. The sale of Lucasfilm to Disney had just happened. There was that window where, you know, who knows what was possible. I was like, hey, I don't want any of your characters. I don't want to do anything with any known characters. I just want to do my own thing on the side. And originally I was like, it should be rated R. This was almost a non-starter. I knew it was a big ask, to be honest, but the deeper I got into it, I realized it was probably never going to be what I wanted there was a vibe of we have our own idea of what we want to do with Star Wars. You have an idea about yours. Go do that as a fan film. Mm. Seems kind of dismissive. <laughs> well, I mean, who are they talking to, right? And he is talking to Disney. Yeah. They're like, you know, we just spent a billion dollars on this. We're not going to let you come in and mess this stuff up. Yeah, exactly. We're quite capable of doing that on our own. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What do you got? You want to bring us yeah, home? Yeah, I'll bring you home. Okay, so your. The man of the 
our probably the next few years until these movies start coming out. You're James Gunn. Mm-hmm. Why Keanu Reeves as Constantine? Apparently, that's still happening. And Constantine 2 is, or Constantine 2, is going to be the continuation of Mr. Reeves as the blonde British paranormal detective. See, talking about cult followings as well, that film is a movie that's gained an appreciation for people. And I've always enjoyed Mm -hmm. it. Just not as a John Constantine mm-hmm. film because that's not who the character is, and I understand that it is. I believe it is technically Constantine. Mm-hmm. It is. I but hate that I, though. I I never want anybody to ever say Constantine. You know, Alan Moore can kiss my butt. It's no, no. It's <laughs> it's Constantine. Way cooler. Exactly. <laughs> so I, Matt, we need. It's got a following. People like it. Everybody loves Keanu. And I need some safe bets. Mm. All right. I'm already doing a Frankenstein monster superhero team thing, right? And I've cast my Superman in my Lois Lane, which I'm okay on the Superman. And I think Rachel Brosnahan is a great choice for Lois Lane. I'm very excited to see what she does with it. But still, we're going to do some interesting and weird stuff. And I think it's good to have something a little more that people are more familiar with and they know about. So that way, it's not an entirely foreign and new environment, this new DCEU. There'll, there'll be things that they recognize as we build this new thing. You know what? I can say that I, when I first watched the Constantine movie, I hated it because it's not John mm-hmm. Constantine. I watched it again a few years later. And if you just ignore the fact that it's supposed to be a Constantine, it's actually a really fun movie. So yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see how they what they do with it i'll be interested to see what uh if keanu it does end up this ends up happening what that's like i think it's a weird direction to go i mean because this is your opportunity to kind of reset and use that character the way that you know people expect him to be in the in the comics but i don't know if it's kind of almost like outside the continuity i think i'm okay with it yeah and they had that perfectly good show Mm. with matt ryan Mm. i think that was i enjoyed it and uh, I don't know why they couldn't just run with that. And he, I know he showed up in the, uh, the um, what was the name of that show now? Not the Guardians of something or the something. The Flash. I can't remember now. Oh, oh um, yeah, yeah. Uh, something of Tomorrow, something like that? Something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, see, see, good. Your memory is not almost as bad as <laughs> mine. That's great. So, yeah, I don't, whatever. That was actually my, ended up being my favorite show out of all the DCU uh, shows mm. on uh, WB. Yeah. So yeah, I've, is it called no? What's it called now? CW. CW. Yeah, I, I the those Arrowverse shows. I mm, that's tough. I think I think the early seasons of the Flash were my favorite. I think. Yeah, no, those those were good. But too. I so, think the right. DCEU shows. I like Doom Patrol. That was my favorite. I have not seen that. I understand that's ending with the fourth season. It's over. That's coming. It's out, out there. Okay, yeah, it's over. Yeah. All right, and then um, I think is that what it is it? I've only aired half the episode so yeah, far. That's is it. that what yeah. it is? Titans they ended I think I watched the first half of that first Titans season and I'm like I don't think this is very good so I don't yeah I haven't watched really any of that stuff yet I still got to finish season four I got to start and finish season four of Barry but I did blow through the through the first three which I uh rather enjoyed so good times Matt all right fine whatever everybody <laughs> who do you want to be answer the question choose an email feedback at the first run.com what should we be 
seeing next week, Matt? What's on the What's on the calendar? Well, as I said earlier, it's Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part Uno. And I think it's coming in at a robust like two thirty five. So uh, make sure you empty your bladders before you enter the theater, mm-hmm. folks. You're going to be there a while. And uh, yeah. So, all right, great. In the meantime, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you will find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review to help other people find the show. Um, we just dropped the latest episode, um, the penultimate episode of this season of Screen Run Matt mm-hmm. with The Ward, okay. which was a fun conversation. And uh, I guess that's going to be it. So we're going to go ahead and take an extended break. We love you all very much. Take care of yourselves. And we'll see you soon. What's wrong about you? Yeah? How so? I thought Christmas only comes once a year.